0: You're listening to an Anna's Owl Ministries podcast. All right, everybody, buckle up, strap in, because we are taking a trip in the Wayback Machine. Guys, it is finally happening. They're finally letting me talk about the 80s. And for such an episode as this, I wanted to have on fellow podcaster... Fellow nerd, fellow Christian, Heath from the Churchiosity podcast—is that how you pronounce it?
1: Churchosity, yeah.
0: Churchosity. introduce yourself.
1: Oh, uh, sure. Uh, it's glad to. I'm really, really glad to be here. Finally, um, my name's Heath Brady, and I'm one of the two hosts from the Churchosity podcast, which uh, we our podcast gives the Gen X take on church culture. So that's. As you can imagine, we do a lot of riffing on and references to 80s stuff all the time. My wife and I both co-host it, so it's a lot of fun. We bring up a lot of good old memories and take trips down memory lane all the time, so pretty excited.
0: It's so funny because there's there's so many, so if you look up a a top 80s cartoon list off of any of these sites, right? Or any of the, Mm -hmm. the top 80s TV shows, being of the vintage that I am, being a, a '90s kid, mm-hmm. a lot of these shows I grew, I still grew up on. You know, I, I they were still running on TV by the time that I was aware of things, uh, or they were running in reruns, things like that. And so there were absolutely like, if I if when I went to go and look and see, like, okay, so which one of these actually started like in the 80s as i've like mm-hmm. grown in my fandom of cartoons and what is now be still my heart considered vintage um that it, it, it's funny because the, you know you i can look at these and i'm like oh yeah no 80, nope nope those are those are 80s those aren't 90s you know Beetlejuice <laughs> stuff like that uh scooby-doo was another one that i thought was yeah. uh 90s that's definitely not
1: yeah yeah that's scooby-doo yeah for sure um and it was always really cool when they would have um guest characters yeah. on scooby-doo like the harlem globetrotters are, are some classic episodes batman and robin yeah. um for for you know for me growing up a, a dc freak you know big superman guy that was pretty cool to see some dc characters on scooby-doo for sure but yeah a lot uh the format of that show was always great because you'd always have the comedy of Shaggy and Scooby. And then, you know, always, you know, the taking off the mask at the end and the big shock of who'd done it, you know, and I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you pesky kids. And we always waited for that line, that hook at the end, you know, yeah. funny
0: yeah i uh you you go back on in in, into these these tent poles and a it's hilarious because you go back and you can so totally see why the the rules got got enforced that did that you couldn't just make you know saturday morning cartoons a giant toy commercial you needed to make some kind of as educational comment but Mm -hmm. it's it's interesting to see through the lens of some of these older, um, the, th- through the lens of some of these older shows, that just will kind of snapshot into that era, that time, that I, I would say even takes that a step further than the '90s did. You know, you look at right. a lot of the '90s stuff that's out there, and it's yeah, you can you know, being being of that era, I can I can point out little pieces throughout the way of like, Oh yeah, no, that was a commentary. That was a commentary, but it felt like the eighties watching stuff that was from that era Mm
1: -hmm. really
0: gave you a snapshot into what life was like during that time.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, especially in the summer life was kind of dictated, you know, I, I was a typical latchkey kid. So, um, you know, getting up early in the morning, like as soon as the sun came out, it was the start of the day. And we would run out and wolf down a quick bowl of of cereal if we had some, and then we'd be out the door on our bikes and on our own until sunset. But if it was Saturday morning, we were we were up early. We were watching cartoons, um, getting those um, uh, schoolhouse rock. Uh, those, those in between, those in between show messages, you know, learning about conjunctions and, you know, things about our bodies and stuff like that. But it's, you're absolutely right. It it did kind of feel like in in our generation, when we were kids, there was this um, independence, you know, this, this kind of gearing us up for independence, because, you know, we were basically independent so much. So, a lot of your saturday morning cartoons your heroes of the cartoons were kids yeah and and so that was very indicative of our time and so lots of lots of kids who were the hero of the day or superhero type things or uh um, fantasy was big you know using your imagination back then was a big deal it seemed like a lot of the a lot of the popular shows like it wasn't a cartoon, but like I think of Land of the Lost, the original Land of the Lost, like yeah. that was a big fantasy thing of falling through a waterfall and ending up in a different uh, universe on an island, you know, with slee stacks chasing you everywhere. <laughs> but yeah, you, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think I think that when you see a, a commercial or uh, a TV show or a cartoon or even even a movie from back in the '80s, is is very easy to tell. Okay, this is a time period that these are things that really don't resonate in twenty twenty two. Like you can't, and even in the nineties, it just seemed like nineteen ninety one showed up and everything just changed with all the programming. Right.
0: Yeah. That was. There's almost something a little more. The only word that's coming to my mind is wholesome, but I'm not sure that that is the right word. But but yeah, there's there's a an edge that the eighties didn't have. That the '90s tried very hard to have, and so, so I think it, that created um, just a, a jump between be, between the the, the two and difference. It's funny that you bring up though the the whole the whole kids thing, like the the protagonist being kids. One of my mm-hmm. favorite IPs from that period of time was um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I mm-hmm. grew up on the turtles. I uh, just had a chance uh, not too long ago to have a conversation with Kevin Eastman. Um, oh, nice! Oh, such a in such a nerd, but in the best possible way. Like you talk to, you talk to him, and it's very mm-hmm. much a a nerd talking to a nerd sort of thing. Like he he recognizes <laughs> what brought him to the dance, and he's right. humbled by the fact of what brought him to the dance. You know what I mean? Why he gets mm. to like live out his dream and all of that kind of stuff. But, Mm -hmm. but yeah, like so, so I was introduced pretty young to TMNT and so it was still that, I think that's part of what, what really resonated with, for me with them is it, while they were like, I guess, technically teenagers, there was, I don't know, a a juvenile nature to the turtles that kids could really uh, identify themselves in 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 a way yeah. that I think resonates throughout you know you can sit here and talk in twenty twenty two and have conversations you know when we when we did the episode on the last Ronin, we had every age bracket um included in it from our oldest host who I think is fifty or almost fifty um and our youngest host who's twenty two and I'm like smack dab in the middle
1: oh, wow wow that's that's good coverage. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I remember the explosion of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, especially, I want to say, was it like 91, 90, 91 when the first movie came out, the first live action movie came out. 90. With um, with uh, Corey Feldman. He was the voice of uh, Donatello, if I remember correctly. But I, I was, a, I, I love the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for all the reasons that, that you said, you know, like especially if you were, 13, 14, 15, but by that time I was 19 years old, 18 years old when, when the movies came out. But just, just the mere thought of being a teenager and, but growing up in an atmosphere where your whole life was learning martial arts and how to treat others and defend the innocent and the weak, you know, that was a real wholesome message. And it was funny because every, each of those four characters had different personalities and i always i always was was attracted to raphael because he was he was like the rough and tough guy and had the attitude and you know like all the ways that I couldn't treat my mom when I was a kid like <laughs> he was that was his personality <laughs> he was just a rebel, you know, but he still was a team player you know that was pretty cool right that's funny
0: so do tell when you think of this era of Cartoons, IP, all of that kind of stuff. What are some of your favorites
1: from the eighties? Yeah. Um, well, I don't. I don't remember how early it launched. It, I, I might. I might be going back late seventies. But the, the my most favorite cartoon of all time was Star Blazers. Um, a lot of people have never heard of it, but I, I believe that it was the first um, anime cartoon to be broadcast in the united states which obviously i was a little kid and that had nothing to do with its appeal but um it was it was a futuristic band of military that that flew in a spaceship that was made out of an old navy uh battleship called the argo and um anyway it it, there they had three seasons of that show only the first two actually ran in the United States they never they never launched the third one but um, that was i I've, I've, I've always kind of gravitated to science fiction stuff anyway from a very young age you know Star Wars obviously I got my star Wars shirt on um, big Star Wars childhood but um, yeah that was that was the show uh, when when a new when a new episode was coming and and they played um, they played on weekdays in the morning. So I would get up at 630 in the morning on a school day just to be sure I was ready to go at seven o'clock to watch the new episode of Star Blazers and then take off for school at 730 because I had to take the public transportation bus back then. But that is, I own it. I own, I own, I actually own all three seasons of that show. So that's by far my favorite. Um, I think of the old, uh, Super Friends yeah. series. The original Justice League, not the original Justice League cartoon, but the original Super Friends cartoon with, um, that, that was always one of them with the Legion of Doom and everything. Um, the, the, they weren't necessarily cartoons, but, um, The Banana Split was an afternoon show. And it's really kind of creepy. I gotta tell you, um, that show was really a creepy show. And if you go back and look it up on YouTube and watch some episodes of that show, there's some creepy stuff going on on that show. Um, It was a live action show with characters dressed up as dogs and they played in a rock band. And it was like little sketch comedy, you know, a la um, Three Stooges kind of slapstick comedy type stuff with sound effects and everything. But it's just I won't go into detail. But if you go back and look at it now, it's kind of like like for me when I look when I look at reruns of shows that were popular, like Three's Company and Laverne and Shirley and Happy Days, like how much adult content was mm-hmm. in those shows from the '80s that you look back on it now and it's like holy cow! Like yeah. <laughs> it was bizarre. But um, the other one um, that comes to mind is the what they called the Croft, the Croft Super Show. And that was um, that was kind of like the umbrella that hosted. Um, there was like the Land of the Lost, Seymour the Sea Monster, H.R. Puffin stuff. Um, just some weird bonkers programming <laughs> from back then when people dressed up in costumes and you know, um, yeah. Those are probably some of my most memorable. Um, I think I'm pretty sure it was in the seventies that the $6 million man was popular, but so that's not from the eighties, but that, those are, you know, and the Smurfs Smurfs were big on Saturday morning when we were kids. And uh, yeah, those are some of the cartoons that were pretty popular that I religiously watched. I'll say
0: there are, There are some. I think you hit the nail directly on the head. There are some of the stuff, some of the things that existed in the seventies and eighties, that just to objectively look at, look at as an adult, you're like, this is weird. (laughs) Like
1: this is, this is creepy
0: stuff. I would never
1: let my, I would never let my kids watch that stuff. (laughs)
0: Right. (laughs) I would
1: have never let them watch that stuff.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's so funny because, one of one of my big fandoms is. old cartoons I've gone, I've spent a lot of time uh, compounding a list and going out and finding the, a lot of the um, the original cuts of the, some of these old shows and just uh, finding these different things across the internet and stuff and, and in hard copy and just when you dive headfirst into that hole of nostalgia stuff you just you you need to you need to hold on tight because you're entering into an entirely different era in the world you know from from the the cartoons to the tv shows to the music stuff like that um but it's it's cool to to me it's there's always power in the longevity of a story, right? Because you boiled all Mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff down that brings us all to the yard. You know, Star Wars, I grew up on the original three. So by the time Mm -hmm. 99 hit and Phantom Menace was coming out, I I was already like well-established in my fandom as a Star Wars fan. So it was like an exciting time to be a teenager. And that... To, to be able to talk to different people of different generations to hear, this is why I fell in love with it, or this is my star Wars or what have you, you know, if, if it's bringing in new people, then why not make these new, you know, are they, are they the things that I necessarily resonate with? No, I resonate with right. the original three because that's what I grew yeah. up in. I was a kid Sitting in front of the TV, enamored because I'd never seen something as grandiose in scope and scale as as Star Wars. And yeah. so to me, that's what made me fall in love. But to somebody else of a different generation, they may have fallen in love with something entirely different about it or what yeah. have you. But to be able to go through these different things and to hear, oh, yeah, that was – I watched that in reruns while talking to somebody who was watching that as it was coming out is just a very mm-hmm. powerful statement to some of these fandoms, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure. One of the things that a lot of – and you're absolutely right. I have I have a buddy who's a little older than half my age. He's 28. And so he grew up on the the prequels. So, you know, so those are his Star Wars movies, right? And it's it's always funny to have those conversations, you know, like why are those your favorites versus the original trilogy? And one of one of the and I don't know if this is true for everybody, but one of the major differences for for he and I in why those became our favorites is that for me, the original Star Wars trilogy was the experience of going to the theater And waiting for hours in line with your family just to hopefully be able to get in. You know, you go down there because back then you didn't have the multiplexes. Um, If you were lucky, your city had a drive-in theater that had maybe one or two screens. So I grew up in Seattle. And so there was this theater in downtown Seattle called the UA 150, which was this huge floor-to-ceiling panoramic screen. And they only had three showings a day. They didn't have matinees back then on, on school days. It was, those were only on the weekends, but you know, the first showing was at four and then the second showing was at six 30. And then the third showing was at nine. If you were crazy enough to be there that long, but we would go down there. We would, we would pack a lunch with coolers and ch- lawn chairs and everything. And we would go down there at 11 o'clock in the morning and sit there all day. And you got all these people dressed up as characters people playing Dungeons and Dragons on the street. You know, it was just like, it was like a party experience. There was no guarantee you were even gonna make it into the theater that day. Fortunately, we always did. But um that's that's one of the reasons why um, the original trilogy appeals to me is because I watch it and I think back, I remember, you know, being with mom and dad and my younger brother and just the, like the nervous tension, like, you know, what's going to happen to Han Solo? You know, the, he was frozen in carbonite. What's going to happen? You know, you know, having those kind of... And all the different fan theories and everything. So, you know, geeking out over Star Wars was a little bit different in the 80s versus the, you know, the different the different sets of trilogies. You know, because kids today, their Star Wars is probably going to be the sequels, you know, episodes 7, 8, and 9. So, uh, and then of course there's all the other sh- the all the other spin off things that are all over Disney Plus and whatnot. So there the original trilogy will always hold a special place in my heart. And I I my favorite of the three is Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. It's it's my favorite of all of the movies because it's dark, it's not directed by George Lucas, and uh they don't win <laughs> I can't right. So it's it's different. Yeah, it's different.
0: Right. We'll get to recommendations at the end, but I'll throw one in okay. in for you guys for you guys here. There is uh I I stumbled upon um radio dramas of uh, of a new hope, empire strikes back and return of the jedi. Somebody oh, went wow. through and they they made um they made audiobooks of them, but they they took the audiobooks and they took the the um expanded media and they kind of created a more flushed out story than mm-hmm. like some of the spots in the in the movies where you're like oh wh- why didn't they show this or do this or whatever there's mm-hmm. th- some of that's a little bit more flushed out and they're all really well done mark hamill came came as luke for the first one didn't return for the other two but he was mm-hmm. luke in the first one and i've been binging those for the last week or so listening to them and they're just so well done. So, but yeah, you know, you, I I think that's, I think a lot of that's true (laughs) when you look at these, you know, when you, when you get to be of a certain vintage that you can look back and say, okay, now I'm at the vintage where my childhood is considered nostalgia is Mm -hmm. you, you look back and, you know, there's, there's some kind of, memory attached to the different viewing the different times that you saw these these different IPs i remember the first time i saw on tv star wars presented as star wars episode 4 a new hope because the first time mm-hmm. that i had ever seen it was the original vhs cut it was just star wars and right. so i was so confused as a little kid that like w- wait it's Two different names. Why is it two different names? And then mm-hmm. one of my friends to- told me, you know, this is, it's the same movie, just, you know, the the whole episode four thing. And like, right. I remember, like I said, sitting in front of the, sitting in front of the TV as a kid. And just, it was the first time that I ever saw a world that felt big and expansive and lived in. And it's, and mm-hmm. you, you kind of get to this chicken or the egg uh, sort of quandary of now in my thirties, uh, do I appreciate these things because I was first exposed to them at a young age because of things like Star Wars? Or mm-hmm. was it Star Wars that kind of uncovered the early days of what would later on become my fandom of be, lo- enjoying these, you know, like I said, lived in stories, these, these worlds that feel immersive, you know?
1: Right. Right. I think that that, that speaks to a lot of the disappointment with the prequels because I think that, that especially uh in my generation coming up with the original trilogy we always wanted to know you know how how did Darth Vader become Darth Vader you know how 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 did that whole thing happen and so you know when we we raised our kids at least our our older ones my wife and I our older ones we we raised them on the original trilogy the the prequels didn't come out till they were teenagers i think um so it was spoiled for them you know they knew they're watching the story of something that they know is going to happen so they know that whenever he's in a when Anakin's in a predicament where his life is in danger he's not going to die you know that kind of a thing but it didn't it was so unsatisfying um you know and 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 god bless uh now I can uh Hayden Christensen for you know just doing the best job he could with a poorly written script um and I have not watched the Obi-Wan Kenobi show yet because I don't know. I'm nervous about it, but, uh, but what it felt so unfulfilled. It felt like, like you described it, it, you know, the, the original trilogy, there's this, this giant universe that has been occupied and, and lived in and, and there's, there's battles and, and resistance and the empire. Like it's it's like, there's this, like, it, it felt like there was centuries of tension. Right. And then you take three movies, and between the first and second movie, you jump fourteen—is it fourteen years between episode one and episode two? I think There's so. a whole lot of story in there. Yeah, you know, you know, and you just cut right to the romantic tension between Padme and Anakin. It's like, well, wait a minute, what was Anakin doing for the last fourteen years? I want to know that. Right. You know there there was there was so little uh, development of backstory and and it, it, in in a lot of ways it felt very similar to i guess i would identify it as um the way and i know we're we're not we're jumping ahead in in, in decades here but with, with the marvel movies and how they just all gel together and the comedy is rich and organic and everything it felt like episodes 1 2 and 3 were a very bad attempt to do that yeah to to take a whole lot of information with a whole lot of gaps, not fill it in and just kind of leave it up to the audience to be accepted of that. You know, I mean, the special effects were great because, you know, technology was so far advanced from the original trilogy. But, you know, I didn't want I I don't like picturing young Anakin Skywalker as a whiny teenager. And that just has always bothered me. So, yeah, I mean, the I would have liked to have seen in those, in those prequels, I would have liked to have seen more of a development of how the universe became so busy and so populated, you know, and I know it's science fiction, but you created this big universe where you had to try, you had to travel, travel at hyperspace speed to get to another planet that's clear across the, uh, clear across the galaxy. And every single planet that you just skip past has got populations on it. Right. You know, like, like, how did all of that happen? You know, that kind of a thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, for everything that you just described is exactly why I am such a big proponent of the Legends continuity, the, all of those Mm. books, all of that extended stuff, because they actually take time to tell stories and allow, allow for the little nuancy things to be expressed. I, I for me growing up with darth vader being one of those bad guys one of those seminal bad guys it feels like if if darth vader is a full jar of marbles every time that they've gone to the well with with anakin skywalker they've taken marbles out of the jar of darth vader except Mm -hmm. for with the um I think the, the more recent comics that they've been doing from, I think they started the run it's in 17, 2017, I think. Um, mm-hmm. and that has been like Darth Vader. Like that has been the first time that it's felt like they've expressed Darth Vader since the, since the original series,
1: you know? Yeah. But. Yeah. He, yeah. I, I would agree. I, it's, it's kind of like similar to how I feel about the Batman that I grew up watching on television, you know, with Adam West, even though that was in the sixties, but it it was syndicated in the eighties. And then, you know, the cartoon version of Batman on, you know, on the super friends and Saturday morning cartoons, Tim Burton's version of Batman was, was okay. It was still pretty cartoonish in Tim Burton's movies. His movies are dark, but his characters are full of too much energy to be in a dark universe but but the dark knight trilogy and all of those graphic novels like that's batman you know he's, he that is batman and, and that's the way I, I agree with you the same same connotation that like darth vader was always a menace and 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 he was he was uh unpredictable and you know, when, when he played it cool and didn't use the force to hurt somebody, you were disappointed. <laughs> yeah. When he didn't snap somebody's neck and he just kinda of turned and walked away, you were disappointed because you were like, Oh, come on, man. Yeah. Uh you know, his one liners, you know, that, that were just so vicious, you know, and, and, and menacing, but then, you know, to go to to the extreme with with uh, what you were describing. That it's that's cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned being a DC guy. Yeah, I wanna I wanna take a take a quick detour into that for a minute because I too sure. am one of the the show's resonant DC guys. So you mentioned your favorites. Your favorite is Supes.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: So the Big Blue Boy Scout, I've come to appreciate more as I've gotten older, because he's an archetype. He's, uh, I used to say as a kid, it's easy to be a superhero when you've got the powers of a god. But uh-huh. as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate that the 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 nuance of his character lies in he has the powers of a god and he chooses to express his human side and right. things like that. And And I just, I think even not appreciating Superman growing up as much as I do now. It's I think DC is always pushed in a way that in, in the same kind of way that a lot of these IPs that you that we've talked about as far as the 80s stuff and all that kind of push. It's it's like creating something that's simultaneously so much bigger than the individual, but also has entry points where you can kind of find certain relatable points, you know.
1: Yeah, totally. I I fell in love with Superman at a very early age in the comic books, um, and it what I run, and I and people kind of look at me weird when when I tell them why because it's not because he could fly and it's not because he had super speed and it's not because he had heat vision or freezing breath or all of those things. It's literally I was fascinated by the the story arc that he was he was a being from another planet that came to earth, grew up as a human and fell in love with humanity and made it his mission to serve humanity, protect humanity, rescue humanity, and asking for nothing in return. And, and, you know, growing up in a, in a Christian home, I saw at a very early age, similarities between the Superman character and the nature of Jesus. And, and, you know, I mean, it's, it's corny, but that, but, that's why I've always loved Superman. Now, as I got older um, and, and started to understand more of the backstory, his heritage, and then his conflict between, as you said, having all of those powers, but, but having to figure out uh, when it's appropriate not to use them. You know, that the, 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 the true test of one's character is knowing when not to use your special abilities and express your human side. And so to see him have those conflicts with with uh you know falling in love and starting a family or you know the prospect of starting a family or getting a job or you know taking care of the farm you know all of those you know just just seeing seeing you know him shift gears you know kind kind of in in the same way that that with Batman you have you have Bruce Wayne figuring out that Batman needs Bruce Wayne just as much as Bruce Wayne needs Batman. With Superman, you discover, you, you watch this development whether it's through the comics. I believe, especially in the Snyder in the Snyderverse, you see this conflict of trying to figure out: okay, Superman needs Clark, and Clark needs Superman, and the world needs both. And I just, you know, I I love the way that DC has always dealt with his character. I mean, there's there's been Dumb things that they've done with Superman, but, um, you know, I've just, I've just always, I I don't really know if there's any one real reason why I love Superman so much. I just always have, you right. know, if, if, if there was my close number two would be Batman, but it's for a whole different set of reasons, but Superman's my dude. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I first, I first found, um, DC with, when, uh, I was a kid uh, I would go with my dad to clear out like estate sales and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I remember the first time we stumbled upon a box of comics and the Flash comic, the uh, Flash comics were in there. And I, yeah. I fell in love with Barry Allen Flash. Um, I'm one of those weird, random 90s kids that Wally West is not my Flash. Barry Allen's yeah. not my Flash. And
1: yeah. my youngest son is the same exact way. That's his, That's his character and same thing. Same yeah.
0: exact thing. Yep, and uh that coupled with B.T.A.S. B- Batman the Animated Series, that mm-hmm. was my jam growing up because it was it was showing a bit of noir and a bit of the like the old detective serials. Yes, you know what I mean. That that mm-hmm. was that that kind of format was so baked into it, and I also grew up in a house with a record player. So we would listen to a lot of old radio stuff on the record yes. player and all of that. And so to me, that felt like a natural extension of those old radio serials and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Oh gosh. Now you're taking me back down memory lane. I I had, I had so many, there were several of those Batman, those old Batman LPs. Yeah. And I remember, I gosh, I remember, putting up at night it would creep me out i listen to him at night and you you put the needle on the record and it's it's crackles and it's da 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 and you just ah it's so great <laughs> just classic classic stuff yeah for sure yeah yeah
0: <laughs> that's a whole that's a whole other nerdum that i have of um i'm a i'm not, i'm not sure i would necessarily call myself an audiophile per se but I really appreciate that sound, that mm-hmm. analog sound that just you lose something to me with a lot of the remasters that get that have gotten put out because it's all cleaned yeah. up. And I understand that that's literally the purpose behind doing a remaster is to clean it up. But then you lose that scratchiness that you know that yeah. that's kind of baked into the memory of listening to it for the first time. Like I remember the first time I listened to the remaster of Master of Puppets. And <laughs> I, I grew up like so much of the very first music that I ever listened to was mm-hmm. 70s, 80s stuff. Like that yep. was where I, I, even still, that's where a, a lot of my musical taste lies is in a bygone era. But I remember the first time I found the remaster, I was like, oh, cool. All right. I just I could not at the time put my finger on it, but I could not stand how how the song sounded. But it's because it sounds too clean.
1: Yeah, too clean. It's funny you bring up my Metallica album. I was that way with Injustice for All. Okay. That the Injustice for All album um, is probably my favorite of theirs. And I'm a drummer and that I can play to almost every song on that album. So that might be part of the reason why. But well, the song one is on that album. And that was the song that they played on the Grammys, which was that big, huge, you know, moment in history. But uh, I was the same way. Like that, that album, the original mastering of that album is terrible. The mix on that album is so terrible. It really is. It's like listening. It's like listening to music in a can. And there's too much, there's too much. Um, it's imbalanced on the low end, like, like you can hear the kick, but it doesn't, it doesn't hit, but it just anyway. And, and a buddy of mine, this is years ago, but a buddy of mine, um, I was in his car with him and, and I was like, I feel like, I feel like some Metallica. And he pulled up Spotify and, and, and brought up the Injustice for All album. And it's, I was like, is this the karaoke version? (laughs) It sounds completely different. Yeah, like I can hear everything is like, and it was terrible. (laughs) I want that. I want that old horrible sound.
0: Right, exactly, (laughs) exactly. Like we just got, we just got my mom uh, a record player for her birthday, and like getting helping her get it set up, and like unboxing the old her old uh, records and. Mm -hmm. All of those kinds of things was like just as much a treat for me as it was for her, you know what I mean? Because it's just like Mm -hmm. I said, like like a walk down memory lane growing up, where you know what we had was a record player, and then we had one of those um, kind of like a boombox, but like a stereo, like a small stereo that you put the batteries into the oh yeah like that style and but we I remember these giant stack speakers that we had for the record player that like if you if you mess that needle up just a little bit oh the noise that would come out of those big speakers
1: (laughs) and if it was you that did it your mother would come running from the other side of the house (laughs) like you're ruining the record. Yeah. What are you doing to my (laughs) records? Absolutely exactly And it's funny too because, like, I remember the first time I was at—I was at one of my first high school dances, and um, rap music was becoming popular, starting to become really popular. And our DJ was scratching. And I remember the first time I saw that, and and you know, I channeled my mother, like, "What are you doing to those records?" <laughs> yeah. And now everything's digital. You know, they have they have they have the the little fake turntable thingies. I don't know what they're called. I'm not. I'm not in the DJ world at all. But I got a buddy that DJs and he live streams. He's from New York and and he has his camera down on his hands and those little dial things. They're supposed to look like records. That yep. you know he does his thing. But yeah, it's totally true. That old that old original crackling sound of an LP. You just you can't like you if, if you're if you're a Gen Xer and you and you hear that you just go oh, I'm t- right. I'm twelve. Yeah, you know?
0: it's like an instant trip down memory lane. I remember so the 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 very first uh, guitar solo, well, I should say guitar and drum solo that sticks out in my mind that got stuck in my head as a kid was uh, Boston's "More Than a Feeling." That song, oh, yeah. for me, like yes, we're we're a little bit outside of the eighties for this one because I think that was seventy six, I think, when they're self. Isn't that song. old? I think so. Um. Yeah. But yeah, I
1: remember listening to it in middle school, but yeah, you might be right.
0: That like, that's one of them that just listening to more than a feeling on a record, just listening to that, that guitar piece in the middle, that was some of the formative stuff that made me a musician. Like now Mm -hmm. I've gotten into, you know, I I do mainly like blues and, and stuff like that now. But like, even, even listening to, um, a lot of uh, Hendrix stuff. That's not, that's not the experience. I think mm-hmm. in, I'm one of those weird people that I think he did his best work outside of the experience. Like, don't get me wrong. Those songs, they are classics for what they are, whatever. Yeah. But like he, he really hedged into, into more of that lower tone bluesy music off mm-hmm. of playing with the experience. But like that, that stuff, Pink Floyd, like Guns and Roses, Metallica, mm-hmm. like that generation of music, don't get me wrong. I love how aware everybody is now of these different things where like, we're going to throw out a bunch of, uh, a bunch of, um, uh, of different TV shows and stuff like that. And people can jump on their Google machine and understand what it is that we're talking about. Cause otherwise right. outside of a, of a post Google world, who's going to know, know things like the Centurions, or, you know, maybe maybe stuff like Beetlejuice or Spider-Man and his amazing <laughs> friends, but like Dino Riders or Mask stuff like that where oh like, gosh. right? Like this is stuff <laughs> this was the formative stuff of my childhood, and I'm glad that we can see we can live in a world where these things are easily accessible to a different generation, but there's not yeah. nothing will, will replace for me. You know, watching these things on a on a small tube TV growing up, or mm-hmm. listening to this stuff on those giant stack speakers. You know,
1: right, right, yeah, and and it's cool. You know, like shows like Stranger Things, you know, or Cobra Kai. <laughs> that you know they, I mean, Cobra Kai is today, but it's the characters from the '80s, right? Right. But like with with Stranger Things, seeing the reenactment of you know i mean it, it's it's 80 it's 83 through 86 i'm i'm in i'm in the sixth through eighth grade you know so i'm the same age essentially as those boys mm-hmm. and i and i was in the i was in the dungeons and dragons as a kid i was in the boy scouts i was, you know so like I, I completely identify to a certain degree with, with these boys, but watching all of the eighties nostalgia get depicted and reenacted, like everything from the way people dressed, the music that they listened to the fads that they were into. I had, it's interesting. Cause like my, you know, my kids are all into it also because it's a great show, but I had, I had, um, I had somebody ask me the, uh, recently, um, is it true that like there was there was this big like suspicion that Dungeons and Dragons was this game from the devil and and like and I was like, yeah, that was a thing, yeah, that, that was, was a, a thing, thing. <laughs> but th- but then here's the other thing somebody brought up and i think I think that they're a millennial parent they're 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 probably in their mid thirties. And and they just couldn't wrap their head around, you know, how realistic is it that those boys could just go wherever they wanted to and, like, nobody knew where they were. And I'm like, that's the 80s. That's exactly what it was like for us. You know, and I don't want to spoil the show for anybody who, who's listening, but especially in season four, you've got the parents in Alaska. You've got one set of family in Indiana. And or not India, yeah, in Indiana and another set of, of kids out in California and nobody knows where anybody is ever. That's pretty realistic to yeah. what it was like and so it's really cool to see those things come back and like, oh yeah, that's what it was like. Oh yeah, that's what it was like. Although, you know, there's some things that they do, like somebody microwaved something and I'm like, the microwave didn't come out in 1984. It didn't exist yet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, good catch. That's funny. Yeah, I um even growing up in the in the early 90s, that was still I mean granted, I grew up in rural America. And so um by uh, parents that were definitely hippies in their day. So they were more <laughs> inclined towards Go and you know scrape your knees and go do things and go go out and be and do and all of that kind of stuff. So I relate what while I'm not I can't say I'm technically I'm an '80s kid because I was born in the '80s, but I don't I'm not like an '80s kid like in this in the same sense that I uh, there's still so many of these little nuancy things about the '80s that are so resonant for somebody like me because they did bleed over for some depending on your household, you know?
1: Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Yeah. um, I remember like, like my older kid, my oldest son, he was born in 91. My daughter was born in 92. And then my youngest son was born in 96. By the time, by the time my youngest son was born, culture had really shifted a lot From you know, from 90, 91, 92. But I remember when when they were when they were little babies, still, you know, raising them with, you know, go and, you know, and do these things, you know, go, go have the sleepovers, go to the birthday parties, go to the movies, you know, have some independence. The problem is, is that technology made it so much like the bad things in the world that we can see with just the click of a thumb on our little devices. Those things have always existed. You know, like I, I saw this meme on TikTok the other day. Was like, how did we even survive? We would leave the house at sunup, come home at sundown. At least once a week, one of our friends was almost abducted. (laughs) You know, that, that, that was the, that was the culture. People would just roll up in their car, strangers, and they'd talk to you and they'd try to get you to get in the car with them. And, and, and as that became more and more uh, accessible and possible and, and technology, it felt like it was bringing all of those issues closer to the human experience. Then you start reeling it in. And you're like, no, I'm going to, then, then in comes the helicopter parenting. I'm going to take you to so-and-so's house. I'm going to take you to that football practice. I'm going to take you to the movies, you know, and, and, uh, but, but I, it, it's really sad to me that, that we can't, we can't have this the same type of experiences as, as we had when we, when we were growing up, like we didn't wear seatbelts, we didn't wear helmets, um, we ran red lights, we jaywalked, you know, like we were, we were just reckless kids. And if we fell down and scuffed up our knee, we rubbed some dirt on it and we kept playing, you know, it's just a very, very different time. And, and now, you know, it's, it's so different because everybody's sensitive.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: And a lot of those movies and cartoons and TV shows and everything from the eighties, you know, they, they just all kind of embodied this independence, these, you know, this, this sense of, you know, you can be the hero. Like you can, you can be the man, you can be the woman, you know, not like you can, you can, if you dream it, it'll happen. Not in that sense, but, but like you are really the champion of your destiny. You just got to keep your head on a swivel and be smart and bad things are going to happen. Just don't let it stop you. You know, that kind of thing. Right. Right.
0: For sure. And I think it's interesting, uh, somebody that that kind of ex- experienced these things real real time but you know is is very well versed in this era and culture and all of that and grew up in a christian household mm-hmm. for me it was not it was not a christian household by any stretch of the imagination mm-hmm. i i it was always one of those um oh you ne- you never you never said Jesus Christ in the house. That was a surefire way to have to end up taking a giant bite out of an onion.
1: <laughs> oh, I would have preferred an onion over the bar of soap.
0: <laughs> yeah, see, the bar of soap wasn't as big of a thing in my household. It was onions because growing up, I hated onions, which is hilarious because I love onions now. But right. but yeah, that was that was always a thing. But it was always like... I don't know, this weird, like, you just don't mess with that. Just don't like, you don't, don't, don't go provoking anything, but like, it, you're not, we're not going to like <laughs> live by any kind of like statutes right. and things like that. But to me, being, being a part of this show and being an adult who's now a Christian and like having been a Christian for the last, I think five years, um, it 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 almost is like a like a fresh set of experiences, going back and watching some of these things. You know, uh, mm-hmm. one of the guys on the show. I I don't I don't know if if y'all will be hearing this first, or y'all will be hearing the Superman Two SG Drive In episode first. But I sat down with a dude that, that's uh, I think a little older than me, and we talked about Superman Two, mm-hmm. and you know. I remember the first time watching the Christopher Reeve Superman movies. It was Superman. Mm -hmm. That was the extent of it. I loved it. But getting a chance to now go back and watch something like Superman 2 through Christian lenses and be able to see some of the through lines and why these things are what they are and being able to say, oh, well, wait a minute. So so Superman is struggling with identity. Mm -hmm. I can understand that.
1: Especially 100%. going
0: through the 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 uh I guess transformation process for lack of a better but the but the transition mm-hmm. process from from the non-Christian world to the Christian world, like that that is a very real and three and four-dimensional thing for me. And I think for mm-hmm. a lot of these things, a lot of these stories and a lot of these these IPs that weren't afraid to tell real life stories. I think it's an entirely new breath of life to be able to experience these things with a whole new set of eyes.
1: One hundred percent. Yep, I agree. And and that that whole identity thing, that's that's such a great thing to to unpack because prior prior to your, your salvivic transaction, you're not gonna really get that layer, you know, to the fullest extent. You know, yeah, Superman was struggling with his identity, you know, we all do. You know, that might be the extent of it. But if you're a new creation in Christ, like if you have the new mind, the new mindset and the old things have passed away, as scripture says, you start seeing those layers and you start seeing character arcs and storylines and relationships in, in, you know, whether it's movies or music, you know, whatever. And you start hearing and seeing things through a different filter and and watching and and I and I totally appreciate that conversation about Superman 2 one of the greatest movies of all time for that reason that that's one of many reasons but but you see him just like wrestle with do I do I want to be with the woman that I love if so it's going to cost me this and I have to reidentify as just a just a human being I got to I got to rethink I got I got to I got to think how I have to live my life from this point on Without all of these gifts, and so yeah, he had to redefine his identity. And so, as a Christian, you start going, "Well, my identity is in Christ now. Yeah, my identity is not of this world." And and you and there's that inner struggle between the flesh and the spirit. So yeah, I think that's a really cool point that that you're making there, that that you can go back and look at these '80s nostalgia things through the lens of the Christian faith, and it almost it's almost as though they hit different or at a different level or in different ways, but I really appreciate that a lot,
0: yeah, especially when you can accept and understand and embrace the fact that um we we worship a God that does not back down from questions and poking and prodding at the dimensions mm-hmm. of this world now, yeah. Obviously, unfortunately, and, on, and and every day that I need to pastor somebody that is that has that has been struck by this, it breaks my heart that that concept has been woefully undertaught or manipulated or some some version thereof. But the reality is is that we we ask the questions, dare to imagine have a, a, a sense of imagination. Far too, av- far too often, we want to approach God in this linear, hands-out sort of way that says, okay, uh-huh. give me, what do I do? You know what I mean? Do I go here or do I go there? Do I move to uh, Colorado or do I move to North Carolina? Uh-huh. When, when in all actuality, it's it's this whole idea of, okay, you know what the rules of engagement are. You know, you understand, read Matthew five through seven. You understand what this is all about. Now go out and play. Right. And that's a concept that for me, still being of that same generation of I've I've joked with some of my older friends that I'm an adopted Latchkey kid because a lot of that same stuff (laughs) is yeah you you leave in the morning you come back you come back at night now mind you sometimes Mm -hmm. my situation was you know it was you, you did that for different reasons but yeah you know you 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 it was always about what was today's new adventure. And when mm, we yep. can square the circle, that that's the same kind of approach that we can take with God. What is today's new adventure? Oh man! Taste and see that the Lord is good for crying out loud. Like this is that's that's real life. <laughs> that's the stuff that makes this yeah. life awesome.
1: Yeah, that'll preach for sure. <laughs> I I I I my my wife my wife uh, laughs at me when in in a, in an encouraging way. We I say this a lot. That, that the Christian faith is like growing up on the playground. That, that once you, once you become a Christian, once you're saved, bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, the fence line around that playground, that's, that's the Bible. Like the Bible has the final authority, the final instructions. You know, the old classic, um, the, uh, the, uh, acronym, basic instructions before leaving earth. You know, the fence line is the word of God. Everything else is, it's, you know, it was for freedom that we were set free. Yep. You know, we, you know, we are free to swing on the swings, play in the sandbox, have some four square play kickball, you know, whatever, you're going to fall down and cut your knee every once in a while, you might bang your head on the monkey bars, you know, or knock your teeth out like I did when I was a kid. But, but, you know, it there and, and I and I completely appreciate the point that you just made because I know that I've noticed that myself, especially in the last ten years, that there's less and less of the freedom in Christ that we have being taught or discipled into other Christians, and more and more of this kind of you know God is unknowable. you know one of the things that I love about David, especially in the psalms is that when david had a conversation with god he talked with god yeah like he talked with god like he literally would be like god these people over here i'm sick of them i'm done with them how much longer do i have to put up with these people you know and and we in 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 the 21st century we we tend to you know you know, kind of like in your household growing up, we're not going to, we're not going to, you know, invoke anything, but we're not going to follow it. You know, we, we're afraid of upsetting the apple cart of the triune God if we're bugging him. You know, he, right. you know, just, just keep sending me my blessings. And when I need something, I'll rub the rabbit's foot. Yep. But we almost, we almost promote this, this God that is unknowable or that isn't intimately acquainted with all of our ways. And, and yet the reality is, is that. It's for freedom that you're set free. You're in bondage to sin. You get saved, not to go back into bondage to God. Right. You know, you you know, God creates the fence line of his word and then says, go and do. You know, I read a I read a fantastic book a while back that's called Just Do Something. And it talks about that very thing. That we as Christians, it's like driving around with the emergency brake on. Yeah. We we it's like we we're waiting for signs and wonders. You know, like like you said, should I take this job? Should I take that job? You know, and, and a, a year ago, my wife and I literally took a step of faith and moved from Seattle to Salem, Oregon on a step of faith. But we just did. And, you know, I don't want to drift off into the weeds, but but the the reality is, is that, you know, it, it is it is man who it is man who plans his ways. It's the Lord who directs his steps. Go and do and the Lord directs you. Right. Yeah. So true
0: yeah and that's that that's the beauty of understanding um, that other layer to all of this that there is something supernatural about this whole mm-hmm. relationship. like that's that gets lost sometimes when when Christianity is taught as a Western religion, when in all actuality is an Eastern religion. and mm-hmm. you know you you when you understand that the will of God is that no man shall perish. And mm-hmm. that we are able to um we we are able to have that that freedom to follow the rules if you will. You know, we, you look at any of these things that 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 we, you know, we think are better than God, but look at extrapolate that out. You know what I mean? Like everything yep. from from sugar to technology to drugs to alcohol to whatever the case may be, you know these are all things that that feel good but extrapolate that out you know what i mean and and where does that get you same same deal with with this extrapolate that out and see what it gets you except for like that it gets you life it gets you it gets right. you freedom and, and joy and and all of those kinds of things and yeah so man this is this has been awesome unpacking some of these greatest hits of of mm-hmm. a bygone era. I know that there has been a segment of the audience that has been chomping at the bit for us to start breaking into um, some of these older IPs. So I'm going to ask you for two sets of recommendations. One... Okay. Recommendations that are from this time period, if they, for for shows people to to go and go and check out from the 80s, and then some recommendations for some things that you might be geeking out, geeking out on now.
1: Okay. Oh gosh, um, to go back and look at stuff from the 80s, um, definitely it's it's so hard because there's so much good stuff. I I would I would say find some good sitcoms from the 80s um and and not be not so much because the, not so much because the content is edifying <laughs> 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 but but see the way it it just it absolutely baffles me like if like like i mentioned earlier with with like happy days the and shirley three's company yeah um the love boat uh, you know those those type of shows go back and just google or youtube some old episodes of that and you will be shocked and how much adult humor us kids were watching and it was just whoop right over our heads. Yep. Um some of some of the old cartoons uh you mentioned Scooby Doo those are those are just so much fun. If you can find Starblaze I know you can. You can find Starblazers on YouTube. Um if you like anything science fictiony and you love anime um especially those are fun to check out. See where the roots of like Transformers and you know, those, you know, and I can't even think of them all. I don't even know any of them anywhere to be a Pokemon, you know, all of those ones that are popular now see where those see those roots. Cause I think that a lot of the creators of star blazers, their sons and grandsons and great grandsons are all in the anime world now as well. Um, and I know that we're talking about cartoons and TV shows, but if you, if you have never seen the movie, the breakfast club, Oh, boy. And you and you want to know what it was like being a teenager in the 80s. You need to watch that movie. Yes. It's, it's just the greatest movie, in my opinion. Um, does that satisfy that question? Yeah. That yeah. list of recommendations? Stuff for today, sadly to say, I don't have anything DC to really recommend unless you can get your hands on the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Um, fascinating. It still makes me mad the way they did Snyder wrong. Um I don't watch a lot of television anymore just because there isn't really anything good on TV anymore. I do most streaming stuff. Um but my wife and I love the blacklist. Love, love, love the blacklist. I know it's not popular anymore, but Lost was just like such a great show. Um we're current I, I we are currently watching Better Call Saul because we love Breaking Bad so much. Um, I don't know any cartoons. I can't give you any cartoon because I just, I don't watch, you know, my, my wife has this great analogy about what it was like watching commercials and cartoons when we were kids versus today. Back then it was my little pony, you know, or care bears, you know, and now it's buy this toy buy this toy. Um, so yeah, uh, stranger things, watch stranger things, Cobra Kai. Um, especially if you're an 80s brat, you'll love Cobra Kai. Um, movies, anything MCU. It's just hot. I mean, MC, I mean, believe it or not, the Marvel the Marvel universe is just is just great. I just saw a notification that next month there's another Star Wars show that's coming out called Andor. Yeah. I know nothing about this. I have not geeked out enough apparently, but I know nothing about this. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, off the top of my head, those are probably my, my best recommendations for, I don't know if I'd call it wholesome entertainment, <laughs> but, but, but at least fulfilling.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean that's that's about the size of it. You need to go when whenever you explore any of this stuff, you got to explore it through the lens of, you know what, it's not 2022. Would some of this stuff get get uh made in today's world? Absolutely not. Half no. of this stuff would not get made in today's world.
1: Man, the things we got away with, the things they got away with back then, yeah. it's it's crazy. Crazy. Yeah, yeah I had to explain oh, at a conference. My wife my I sorry to cut you off. Okay. Uh, I recently actually started watching the terminal list on Amazon Prime. That's the new Chris Pratt show. Oh. It's pretty darn good, cool, pretty darn good. I
0: yeah. had to explain at a conceptual level what g i Joe was to my wife because she didn't grow up in like that kind of household. like she's a couple of years yeah. younger than me. and so, like this was outside of her purview and all that and i I had to explain it to her, but like explaining what G.I. Joe is to somebody who's never heard of G.I. Joe, yeah, it's an American wartime propaganda cartoon. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's about the size of what G.I. Joe is, guys, if you've never watched it before. But
1: well, and even even to this day, if somebody says to me, Well, now I know, and then I say, And knowing is half the battle, and knowing is half because that was the commercials that was the, commercial. For, the little, for the little characters when we were when, when we were kids. Well, now I know, and knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! That was a <laughs> commercial.
0: Yep. Oh, that's awesome. So um, one one uh, IP that I want to uh, recommend to you guys, I, it seems like the low-hanging fruit. You guys know I'm a huge turtle head, but Transformers. Transformers G1 was my jam growing up and that that bled over into beast wars was big in the 90s i loved that but this see seeing the roots of transformer storytelling and just seeing experiencing it in all of its ridiculous toy commercial on steroids <laughs> ridiculousness is yeah. just awesome so for that for that period of time I would absolutely suggest suggest watching watching that. Um as far yes. as uh current day geeking out um I am still going through the series I mentioned um a couple of weeks ago uh this uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer Boom Studios comic that's uh, that that came out post apocalyptic 50 years in the future Buffy the Vampire oh, wow. Slayer Boom Studios knows it. They're the same ones that have that have rights to making the um the Power Rangers uh, series that's been coming out okay. over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. They've had it. And they know exactly who they they know exactly who their audience is. And they are unashamedly going after exactly that audience. And it is phenomenal to be wow. of that particular vintage watching these people do do what they're doing with this IP is is out of bounds. So let That's people, pretty cool. Yeah. So let people know where they can find you.
1: Oh, um so our our podcast is the as I said, it's Churchocity. That's Church and then OSITY. Churchocity podcast. You can find our podcast on any of the platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon, pretty much anywhere you get a podcast from. Um you can follow our show on social media even though my wife and I hate social media, but you know, it's 2022. Um, all the, all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, our tag is at churchosity pod. Um, we are currently in a a temporary hiatus. We just, we finished season three about a week before my wife and I both caught COVID and we're getting ready to ramp up to start season four. We got some pretty exciting, exciting things coming up. Um, Many of our listeners know, remember that about a year and a half, year, year, year and a half ago, we did a 10 week series on church hurts or spiritual abuse. And we're going to be revisiting um, because we've undergone much of the healing process from that. So we're pretty excited to get rolling on that in the next couple of weeks. But yeah, Church churchosity podcast, socials at churchosity pod, um, you know, give us a listen. Of-
0: awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us. Thank you all for listening and if you would like to hear more from our illustrious panel of hosts you can head on over to systematic geekology.org toggle over to the host tab you'll be able to see all of the ridiculous amount of projects that we're all involved in and if that is not enough for you you can head on over to patreon.com systematic geekology where there's tons of bonus materials there and and you get to help us keep the lights on. So for now, that's a wrap. And remember, we are all a chosen people, a geekdom of priests.
1: This was an Anazao Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn
0: more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazao Ministries Podcast Network.